Hey folks, Ben Blacker here, the creator and host of the Writers Panel. Thank you for giving us a listen. Um, we're coming in on the end of the year. I have a few more episodes to offer to you before the end of the year, and they're all great ones. I really enjoyed recording these. Um, I know some of you hate it when I do comic book stuff, but that's going to be a couple of them because um, I was lucky enough to talk to some interesting people, uh, such as today's guest, Tom Brevoort, who has been with Marvel Comics for over 30 years um, and has been the editor of The Avengers for about 25 years, as we will talk about. Um, he's about to move to the X-Men next year, so you know we wanted to chat and just get his perspective on the comic book industry and uh, working with creatives. And I think there's a lot of good stuff in here, even if you are not a comic book writer specifically, or even a comic book reader. There's really interesting stuff about the creative process. There's also really interesting stuff about Marvel and the way that, you know, comics publishing worked 30 years ago and the way that it works today and how different and how similar it is. So it's a good episode that is worth listening to. Um, regardless of your affinity for comic books. My affinity for comic books is quite high, and so I enjoyed this episode. We've got a couple more episodes coming out this year, um, some about TV, a couple of bonus stuff that I recorded uh, at a live comic convention, so it's a little more comics-related. Um, but, you know, it's all it's all fun stuff. I've, I, I've been lucky enough that you all have followed me on <laughs> this podcast journey and uh, are down to sort of listen in on the conversations that I've been seeking out and that I enjoy having and that which I always learn something from. I hope you do too. If you do, please consider becoming a subscriber on the Substack. Um, it's over on benblacker.substack.com. That's the best way to support the work that I'm doing here and over there. Um, you know, I'm, I'm writing at least a couple of newsletters a month about the business or process of writing. And so hopefully you will find those helpful. I always find them helpful myself. Um, I'll also give one more plug. This weekend, December 2nd, uh, I'm doing a thrilling adventure hour show. We're doing two shows, in fact, uh, in Los Angeles at the Bourbon Room, 6.30 and 8.30 p.m., two different scripts. Um, this has been eating up all of my valuable time lately. Uh, although I did get a newsletter out and, you know, some other projects, which I can't talk about yet. But December 2nd, um, Thrilling Adventure Hour, we've got our whole terrific cast out with us, including Paul F. Tompkins, Paget Brewster, Mark Evan Jackson, Josh Molina, Janet Varney, all your pals. We got some special guests, uh, including Sam Richardson, who is just the best. So if you are in Los Angeles this Saturday, December 2nd, come out to the Thrilling Adventure Hour, either at 6.30 or 8.30 or both. Uh, go to bourbonroomhollywood.com for tickets. You can also stream it. Um, and the best way to find that link is to follow Thrilling ADV on Instagram or just follow me. I've been posting it. I also put it on the Substack. All right, here's my conversation with Marvel Comics editor Tom Brevoort, which, by the way, um, speaking of newsletters, you should, if you are a comics fan or if you're interested at all in the way that industry works, you should subscribe to his terrific Substack. It's called Man with a Hat. He's been doing a version of it, and we talk about this in the interview, um, on various, <laughs> you know, uh, journaling and, and blogging sites over the years, Um 
but most recently it's over on Substack and he's got archives that point to all past episodes, episodes, past entries. Um, it's really cool insider stuff about the, the way that the comics industry works, the way that Marvel comics functions, the way the editorship functions, mistakes that have been made in the past, uh, things they learned from those mistakes, things they have done right in the past. Uh, it's always a really interesting conversation with really cool insights from Tom. Uh, and we do touch on that a little bit here. Um, but go check out Man with a Hat uh, over on Substack. It is well worth your time. All right, here's my conversation with Tom Brevoort. Thanks for listening. They write, they talk, and talk about what they write. Tune in tonight, or whenever the time is right. It's the Writer's Panel with Ben Blacker. And it's starting now. Oh, yeah. Like, everyone's so outgoing. It feels like you're all so, like, given allowance to go out and talk to people and talk about the company and your work and stuff. Yeah, I mean, it's 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 relatively uh, casual. You know, it, it's not... Uh, uh, some, some, some places are very worried about that and very concerned about their message and so forth. And uh, our guys are all you know, smart enough and trained enough on it and so forth that generally speaking, uh, you know, there's not really a, a problem with doing this kind of thing. Yeah. And it's cool too, because like, I feel like everyone, all, all of you guys, again, the ones I know, especially like they got into this because they love comics and they want to talk about it and they want to talk about the business and the, the products and stories. Sure. It's a, it's again, it's, it's very much a part of the Marvel DNA you know, go going back to Stan and the way he'd interact with people, you know, both in the books and then, you know, at, at speaking engagements or colleges or conventions or whatever. Yeah, makes a lot of sense. All right, I'm going to leave some of that in because it's a nice little intro. But what, what I'm going to do first is uh, have you introduce yourself on the microphone and let the folks know who you are and uh, why we're talking. <laughs> um, <laughs> I'm... Uh, Tom Brevoort, uh, Marvel executive editor. Uh, I edit the uh, the Marvel heroes, the Avengers set of titles at the moment, and will soon edit the X Men titles in days to come. I'm not entirely sure why we're talking, uh, other other than uh, other than I was asked to be here, uh, and and Jerry Duggan said nice things. So. I want to start by talking about, so you, again, like you've been at Marvel, it looks like you started as an intern there in 89. Um, I, I want to get your secret origin, which I know you've, you've told the story a million times. You can, by all means, give the condensed version. Sure. Well, I started reading comics uh, when I was six in 1973. Um, and, you know, it, that had always been an important uh, thing for me. I thought growing up that I'd be an artist. Um, I did a lot, I had a certain amount of art talent and I, I did a lot of drawing. And so I wound up uh, at the University of Delaware in their illustration program. And for the senior year of the program, like in the summer, usually between the junior and senior year, you were, were required to go off and serve an internship in some field that was in some way connected with the discipline or with the with the with the industry. So as an illustration major, I needed to find a place where, uh, you know, I could do something that would be connected to that. Uh, and in my in my very first year at the college, at the initial orientation, like the dean of the college gave a speech where he outlined the whole of the program and how, you know, your first two years are foundational and you'll do this and this and this. And then 
in your third year, you'll specialize. And then, uh, you know, in between your third and fourth, you'll do an internship and there'll be a final show and blah, 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 blah. But in the course of that, talking about the internships, he said, well, you know, we've had people at this place and this place and this place. And we even had one person who interned at Marvel. Um, I've never found out who that person was. I've always been sort of curious about it. I sort of assumed they never went on to do anything in the field. They just went up, did an internship, and then, you know, followed their their bliss somewhere else. But anyway, sitting there listening to that, I thought, okay, I'll, I'll do that in three years or so. So, you know, when the time came, you know, coming up in, I don't know, February, March, April of, of 89, uh, you know, I sent out. Uh, you know, letters of inquiry. And I didn't just send them to Marvel. I sent them to every comic book company that was then on, on the East coast. So DC and Kamiko and, and, and a bunch of others. Uh, Marvel was the only one that got back to me. Um, <laughs> uh, and, and so, you know, I wound up uh, being an intern at, at Marvel during the summer of 1989. I worked in, Across three editorial offices, there were three offices that were all situated sort of in a back corner uh, of the office space. And it was uh, Bob Budiansky who, and Dwayne McDuffie who were doing uh, the special projects office. And it was Craig Anderson and Renee Witterstatter who were sort of mostly or were transitioning into being the cosmic office or the space office. They did Silver Surfer and were launching Guardians of the Galaxy and did What If and so forth. And then uh, Greg Wright and Evan Skolnick. Uh, Greg was the managing editor, what we now call the associate editor. He was sort of the interim uh, person, and he had a couple of books and a variety of other projects to manage, including Marvel Masterworks and some reprints. And uh, he was doing the the uh, Marvel Universe updates and and uh, and a bunch of stuff. So I worked between those three offices for that summer, uh, and by the end of that summer, uh, I came in. Because I was a I was a fan, you know I had done fanzines and I had done, uh, you know a certain amount of 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 small, uh, not real publishing but scratch publishing of my own, uh, and that meant I had a bunch of skills, none of which individually were all that great, but all put together, I could do anything at a minimal level, which meant. You know, that that as things cropped up that needed to be done, particularly when the bullpen was jammed, people could turn to me and I could just do the paste up or I could just do the lettering correction. Uh, and that saved people a lot of time and a lot of effort. Um, there was also in those days only one computer in the place. Uh, I think it was an Apple IIe. Um, it was relatively new. Um, and, and walking in, I knew how to use, I didn't know how to use it great, but I knew how to use it better than anybody that was there. And so that meant I wound up, uh, doing a bunch of typesetting. Anytime people wanted to have computer font balloons or whatever, there was a font in the computer. Uh, and so I would sit down and typeset the balloons. I did all the balloons for Thanos quest, the two inches of Thanos quest, uh, and earned, I don't know, $25 a page or something for it, which was good money. Uh, you know, <laughs> being an intern. So anyway, by the end of that period, um, you know, certainly a couple of the editors I was working for, Bob and Greg especially, um, were really hot to get me on staff. And so they tended to push my name as as openings came up. And 
by that November, an opening was showing up in the Spider-Man office, and I came in and interviewed with with Danny Fingeroth about it. Uh, and he offered me the gig, and I went great. And then I went back to visit with with Bob and Greg, and Bob said, "Hey, you know, we're going to have an opening over here, probably, you know, in another month. Would you rather just, you know, come over here rather than with Danny?" And I thought to myself, "Well, these guys I know, and I don't know Danny as well." This is a sure bet. Plus, it means I could finish my semester. That was one of the things that Bob put on the on, on the table was like, you could finish out, you know, your last semester. You don't have to get started like immediately in November and drop everything. Um, and I said, yeah, OK, great. That sounds good. And Bob very excitedly was went, let's go tell Danny. <laughs> uh, and so uh, so I ended up uh, I ended up starting at Marvel. Uh, it was December I remember it as December 27th, but the records show it was December 26th. So I'll assume the records are right. I, I did my, my first short three-day week at Marvel, December 26th, 27th, and 28th, when nobody was around and nothing was going on, um, which I guess was a good time to settle in. Um, and, and was that like an assistant editor position? Yes, that was an assistant editor position, which was and still is really our entry-level uh, 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 spot. Um, but it was because it was in, it was in with Bob, it was, uh, you know, a, uh, more a special projects assistant editor than a typical Marvel, uh, you know, comic book line editor. And what that meant was I worked on a whole bevy of things that were not traditional comics, whether that was, were licensed books or movie adaptations. We did press posters, we did all the work for licensing. So anytime that there was a uh, a deal made to do Hulk bubble bath or, uh, you know, some Spider-Man game or some, you know, Hulk paraphernalia, we would provide the artwork for that um, and, and sign off on the products. Um, eventually, you know, as it developed, we did trading cards and did a lot of Marvel trading cards in, in those days. And we had one or two more traditional uh, comics so it was it was a much wider range of materials and stuff to be involved in than the typical person it's really a neat way to enter the company how do you think like starting there rather than in traditional monthly books informed the way that you approached editing once you became a full-time editor um i'm not sure that it did other than it meant it took longer to figure that stuff out because i wasn't doing it for so long um, yeah, you know, or just doing that. Um, you know, like every assistant editor ever created, um, I I certainly certainly came in thinking that I knew a lot more than I actually did, and I made uh, you know big messes of things uh, by making what I thought were right and honorable uh, judgment calls that were actually stupid and foolish. Um, you know, I'm the first title I edited, uh, you know, whole cloth Deathlock. Uh, I pretty much killed, uh, and I killed it in 34 issues. But and 34 issues is a long run today. But in those days, when you know Guardians ran 62 and New Warriors ran 75 and whatever, you had to work at it a little bit to put a book in the ground. 32, 34 issues in, uh, and I did. I I did. I made a succession of bad choices that that drove it into the dirt. But you know, every one of those choices and the outcome therein is a learning experience. And, you know, every editor does, young editor does this to some degree. They don't kill a book necessarily, 
but you know they have things that go wrong and they have places where they make a a, a bad call or an ill-considered call and you, you know you develop and you learn from it so it was it was very much that same thing um you know the one thing it did was it meant that i was exposed to a wider portion of the 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 company um because we would deal with the with the licensing department which in those days were really just account executives who would deal with whatever the 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 deal was and be the facilitators and the middlemen between us doing the creative on it and the client whoever it was that was licensing whatever uh you know spider-man tchotchke they were going to put on the market um so we spent a lot of time dealing with them and you know that gives you a different perspective and working on all these other things um you know working on the on the press posters you know meant that we were we were checking proofs that were a lot more sophisticated than anything that anybody else was was bringing in because the 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 quality of the the artwork and and the fact that it was fully painted rather than uh hand separated you know so i had i had a bit of experience with that you know i, I and and so that range of stuff was probably good in terms of giving me a wider variety of a uh, knowledge base to, to 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 pull on but i don't know that it did anything for for me becoming a, a competent line editor uh until i was actually you know doing that and figuring that out for real yeah let's talk about i mean i i love that you bring up uh that deathlock book and you you've brought it up and i mentioned you know when we were emailing that i i love your substack newsletter man, <laughs> well, man I, the hat. um it's always such a fascinating warts and all deep dive into this industry um i think you're you're never embarrassed to talk about mistakes you made or that the company made and things we learned from it. I think that's really important. I, uh, I mean, I, 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 I try to be, I'm sure I'm not as forthcoming <laughs> in certain areas as, as, uh, you know, people might, might think, you know, like, like anybody, like anybody telling a story, I'm going to tell my version of the story and my version of the story is always going to be slanted to my perspective and where I was standing. And so rightly or wrongly, uh, I'm I'm going to come out looking 20% better than was the actual thing. So if you just like anything I say, if you just slice 20% off the top, you're probably close to close to in the right uh, neighborhood. Well, and especially in these these uh, some of these early stories, like you know, dumb dumb kids in their 20s make bigger mistakes than yeah, some of us yeah. in our you know 30s, 40s, and 50s. But that's to some degree that's the, that's the point. Um, you know, that, that's the idea about talking about this stuff and it's been long enough. Like I wouldn't tell those stories about stuff that happened last week or last month, but if you're talking about things that happened 30 years ago, I think at this point, the statute of limitations is such that like, it's, it's just history now, man. It's just, this is a, this was a thing that happened. These were the decisions everybody made. This was the outcome. Here's the comic that got made as a result. And, and, you know, everybody can kind of. Uh, you know, make of that what what they will, or learn from it, whatever they they might. Totally, and and I want to. So I want to go back to some of those. You know, thirty year old uh, when you were just starting out as a line editor, as an editor of monthly books. Um, tell me a little bit about learning to work with writers and artists. Um, well, I always had, again, because I came in uh, with with the sense of of wanting to do this. Um, I didn't necessarily know that I wanted to be an editor. Again, coming in, I, I was I was pursuing the idea that I would be an artist, despite the fact that, you know, my my skills were really not at the same level at the level they would need to be. 
Um, again, I was good enough to do minor art corrections and things, but I wasn't good enough that anybody should have given me a story to draw. In some of those days, given the the just need for talent, I might have gotten given stories anyway because you know there just wasn't enough of a bench for the sheer number of books that were being published. But you know, I moved away from that, and I I very sort of deliberately backed off of that. Uh, you know, since coming in and and figuring out the editorial thing was actually a much better fit and suited me better. Um, but I had, you know, again, I had come in as a uh, a regular, steady, go to the shop every every week comic book reader of the 1980s, and that meant uh, that in addition to you know your mainstream DCs and Marvels, I was following books from across the industry, uh, and I was very influenced by. Uh, you know, stuff like the uh, 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 what the hell did they call it? The uh, the Dave Sim spirit of independence, like the 10, the uh, the, the 10 commandments for 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 creator owned and 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 and, you know, this sort of sense, uh, you know, walking into Marvel in 1989, the prevailing wisdom and this prevailing wisdom wasn't really anybody on staff really saying or thinking this way. It was sort of a holdover, I believe from when Jim shooter ran the place. Uh, and he instilled it in the editorial division and, and in everybody else, you know, all the other divisions that's already looked at it this way was that the editors made the comics. And therefore the editor was the important person in that equation. And that while you wanted to have good talent on your books past a certain point, it doesn't matter so much if it's writer A or writer B or artist A or artist B. The editor is the one who's making those choices. The editor is the one who's making the books. Uh, and I walked in with a very different mindset from the beginning, which was, I know it's the creators that make the books. And I know that I've never followed any book because the editor. So, <clears throat> you know, uh, but again, coming in with that outlook, and actually putting it, you know, into into practice under battlefield conditions is a very different thing. Um, and that, and again, that 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 outlook changed over the course of seven or eight years. And you know, by the time you know Joe Casada came in, and you know Joe was a creator first. Uh, you know, his his outlook was very much the creators make the make the books, and then that suddenly permeated, and that became, you know, kind of how it was it was looked at. But in terms of dealing with with writers and artists, uh, you know, some of it, you know, initially was just getting over the intimidation factor of you're dealing with people who are older than you are and more experienced than you are, and you're, you're theoretically the person who has uh, the authority in those situations, uh, and figuring out how to exercise that authority uh, and 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 use it to get a good result out of of the people. Uh, and to try and treat everybody, you know, fairly and rightly and so forth, um, you know, uh, that was just a process, uh, you know, and, and you figured that out kind of as you as you went. It was it's interesting, you know, I've I've worked with editors who absolutely bring the best out in their writers and artists. Um, and I've worked with editors who just, you know move move pages right they're just sort of trap directing traffic and getting those books out and some of them are great and some of them are not um how do you and, and i think your books you know for 30 years now have had a really high quality and it feels like you are one of those editors who is tr brings the best out in his uh creators what do those conversations look like how do you 
you know, work with individual creators to help them do their best work? That's a very complicated question. First of all, I'm not sure. I'm not sure that I buy into your premise. Uh, so, so you know, starting with that, certainly historically, um, you know, there there are there are instances, there are times, you know, with each individual writer, let's say, uh, they find an editor with whom they're really simpatico, and the work that they do with that editor tends to be, I don't know, ten percent better than the work that they do with other people. Uh, and you can kind of look back historically and go, Peter David was uniformly pretty good. But when he worked with Bobby Chase, he was slightly better. Uh, and you could find, you know, those associations. Oh, yeah. That's that's I want to dig in on that for a second and talk about, like, what a, what is that relationship and, and what does make it special? Well, I think it's just again, it's it's just a similarity of of uh, aesthetics and, and outlook. You know, if you were to ask me, you know, who who in my history, you know, I had that with. Um, I think Kurt Busiek is is pretty much a lock. Like Kurt did great work for other people at Marvel and at DC or whatnot, but I think pound for pound, the books we did together were better than the books he did with other editors. And I think that had to do a, had a lot to do with the fact that he and I spoke so, the same language, so to speak. We had a we had a knowledge of and an appreciation for the same comics that we read growing up. We had a, a similar outlook and 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 you know, we were both willing to push back and forth on any question. Uh, so if I had a if I had a concern or a problem with something, he would address it. And, and uh, you know, even if that even if addressing it was coming back and saying, I don't think it's actually a problem because X, Y and Z. Uh, and, and so that combination of him plus me resulted in better end product, you know, maybe than him and Bobby Chase on Iron Man, you know, maybe. Um, or, or him and I guess it was Dan Raspler on, on Justice League. Um, you know, and, and again, though, that's, that's different from creator to creator and you can't always have that with everybody. Uh, you know, my take in general when I'm working with people is, you know, one, I'm always going to have a point of view and these days it's going to be a relatively strong point of view on whatever the story is, who, who the characters are, what's going on, but it's not my story. Technically, it's your story, and really, it's our story. You know, including the artists, including the letters and the colors. Everybody's pushing to do the same thing. And when I read a script and give notes back, you know, I try to do it from a very uh, mechanic-oriented position, which is to say, I'm what I'm really doing is I'm finding things that I think are problems, and in every case, I'll try to offer. What I think is, if not a solution, then a road to a solution. This plot point doesn't work. I don't think this works because of X. So maybe if we did this, it would work. But I honestly, and I try to spell this out with almost everybody that comes into the office, although you know the turnover has been enough that I don't know if I've done it in every single case at this point. Um, you know, I say to them like, I don't. I honestly don't care if you use my solution or not. What I care about is. The problem gets solved. Whatever that that thing I'm staring at that's causing me to vibrate, that's the thing. And if you fix it in some completely different way that doesn't use my half-baked idea, I'm fine. Um, also, it is a completely valid solve to come back to me and explain why what I think is a problem isn't actually a problem because X, Y, and Z. 
Um, so I don't look at myself as like the, you know, descending from the mountain with the stone tablets of wisdom that are going to solve everything. Um, you know, what I'm looking at is what works, what doesn't work, what needs to be fixed. How can, how do I think it can be fixed? Um, and I'll have suggestions or I'll have insights or, or things. You know, I was emailing with, with uh, people this past week about X-Men stuff that had nothing to do with specific stories or specific whatevers, but had a lot to do with individual characters. Here's my take on Cyclops. Here's what I think about Rogue. Here's how I think these things, uh, you know, uh, these aspects of the series uh, operate or should operate. And then, uh, you know, it's it's just down then to those creators as to whether or not any of that is of any great value to them uh, and and use it. And it doesn't mean that what they'll end up doing uh, with those, uh, you know, with those characters or whatnot will be exactly uh, what I, I said to them. But it gives them a sense of here's here's what I'm thinking. Here's how I think all these bits, you know, fold together, what makes them work. Uh, and and, you know, that can help inform, you know, whatever stories they're 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 going to they're going to, you know, take. You know, so so that you know, whatever the guy that's 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 got a real hankering to go, let's give Cyclops four eyes. Uh, understands that my my take on Cyclops is that he's got two, and 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 that and that and that, that that's going to be a tough sell. You know, if you're going to sell me on, you're going to give him four eyes. You're really going to have to have a pitch that knocks me out and goes, that's the greatest thing I ever. Yeah, that's twice as good as as two eyes. I, I, we definitely have to do that. You're, you're circling sort of the, my favorite thing about making comics, which is the close collaboration that you get with, you know, there's so few creators involved. It's the editor and the artist and the writer, especially at the beginning of it. Um, and, and to have that sort of like feeling of ideas bouncing off each other is so much fun. Is that collaboration you know, you you now are in a position where you're bringing up younger people to become, you know, assistant editors and associate editors. Like, is that something that can be taught? Um, again, I don't know that the actual skills can be taught. I'm a better, uh, a way better story analyst now than I was, say, 30 years ago, because I've had experience and I've learned how to do it. And I've found and figured out what things are important and what things are nonsense uh, and so that stuff can kind of be taught. Uh, and every year, I do a I do a seminar that's now two days long. It used to be just one, but the syllabus got too long. I had to break it into two. That really is all about what being a Marvel editor is and what a Marvel story is all about. In which I try to distill down uh, all of this, you know, aggregated knowledge that we've picked up over the years, and that we often talk about in shorthand. So that somebody who's coming in for the first time doesn't necessarily understand what the terms mean uh, or, or the subtleties of, of what's going on in that conversation. Um, but it's also two hour long sessions of me blabbing while people sort of half listen. And so I don't know how much of it, you know, uh, uh, gets processed and into the doing of stuff. It's a bunch of raw information that gets into pe the back of people's minds. But it's really what you're doing when you actually have. Uh, you know, a book to put out or a script to read or a writer to hire or, or whatever that determines how that's all going to go. Sure. It's you, you learn it by doing the reps, right? Like you, at a certain point, you get to feel this stuff and understand it much as we can explain it. 
you just learn it by doing it uh, or you learn the best by doing it. Um, you, you've been a part of Marvel now during these really interesting, you know, flux points. It feels like when you came in, there was a change in perspective of the company over those, you know, five, six years. Um, you've gone through this MCU explosion. Well, do you see patterns in the way that the industry changes or the way that Marvel changes? Not, not as such. Um, I mean, there's certainly pendulum swings. Um, you know, I know that pendulum swing tends to be, you know, in the most basic level from people suddenly being super interested in material that's more uh, positive and optimistic and hopeful to material that's darker and more cynical and more and more nasty. Uh, and that, you know, that that pendulum constantly swings back and forth. And that's something that you could kind of look at and go, oh, you can see like all the periods when. Avengers was ascendant, you know, where periods where the pendulum was on one side and all the periods where, you know, Daredevil or something was ascendant was were, were, were times when when that was on the other side. Uh, and so, you know, I'm very I'm very conscious because of the long span of not being convinced that the wisdom of today is going to be the wisdom of tomorrow it works today isn't necessarily what's going to work tomorrow. It's not a it's not a thing like we solved it. We've solved cold fusion. The answer is always this. And that, so that's what we do from now on. Uh, it's only solved until it's not solved because tastes evolve. The audience changes. People get bored with the same thing and they want something different. And the world changes. And, you know, as a, as a, as a consumer of story, you know, what you want from story changes, you know, depending on the state of the world and, and what's, what's going on in the larger sense. Um, so there's stuff like that. Um, you know, I've never worried too much about, you know, what are the patterns or what are the things? Uh, it's always just been, you know, there, there's a Marvel, so keep walking forward. Uh, and you know, that, that's, that's an outlook that served me very well through years of, you know, bankruptcies and, and, and takeovers and, and Disney absorptions and you know, every, every other thing that, that could be there. It's, you know, just keep, just keep going, just keep walking. and you know, whatever the thing is, you shift and adapt to it. Uh, and, and, and that's it. But, but, you know, really, I don't know that I have any particular wisdom that, you know, it's every, every three years you should, you should buy, uh, you should buy dark Hawk. Cause that's going to be a big, that's going to be a huge seller every, every, you know, 27 years and the, the cycle is just about ready to pop dark Hawk again or something like, I, I don't think it works quite that, uh, regularly. I'm going to cut out just that piece. So it's just you saying every three, every three years you should buy dark. <laughs> the fans are going to go crazy. <laughs> there you go. It's your pull quote. Exactly. Um, so you've been on Avengers for some time now. Uh, when did you take over over there and how long has it been? It's uh, I, I started when the book came back from Heroes Reborn. So the Heroes Return era. And that was 1997. Uh, so that was 26 years ago. Um, 26 years uh, is, as far as I can tell, the longest run anybody in the history of the company has edited any one particular title. Uh, and, and there are only a couple of other people in the field who've who've uh, you know done the same on on things. It's a very it's very rarefied air. 
It absolutely is. I mean, it's it's a genuine achievement. Um, and they've been, you know, they've been such high quality books too. You've gotten great writers, you've gotten great artists, you've told great stories. Do you feel, you know, as you are now getting ready to move on to the X office, do you feel like, you know, you've accomplished what you wanted to with the Avengers? Tell me about saying goodbye to <laughs> that, that, those books. It's, I mean, honestly, and again, maybe this will all change or a switch will be flipped at some point and it'll, it'll be a thing, you know, while it's occasionally a little bit weird, you know, we had a, an editorial summit, uh, a couple of weeks back, right before New York comic-con where, you know, we bring in you know, all of the key writers and all of our editorial staff. And we kind of talk through our plans for the next, you know, 18 months to three years and it was sort of weird at points in that room, in those conversations, as some character would come up and I'd have to think to myself, I don't have to have an opinion on this because it's not my problem anymore. It's now Will Moss's problem. And what I have to say is irrelevant. Will is going to be the one that's going to make the call on that. Um, you know, so and again, that wasn't like any feeling of of loss or anything. It literally was just a. A sort of strange, huh? I don't have to. I don't have to worry about Jack of Hearts and how he's being treated or what the plan is for Jack of Hearts because it's not my problem anymore. I need to worry about Wolverine. Um, so, so there's that. Um, you know, uh, uh, I feel like I've disengaged pretty easily from the books that I'm giving up, although because it will take a while to see this stuff uh, and because I want to leave at points that make sense to uh, me and to everybody, uh, you know, I'm not done with editing Avengers comics. I'm just counting down the last X number of them. Um, but I'm not, you know, I'm, 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 I'm really relatively comfortable, at least at the moment, with oh, okay, Will's laying out a bunch of plans, and they're not what I would do, which is exactly what they should be. Uh, they should be something different, and they should be something that 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 he's got, and he can he can bring to them. Uh, you know, even though you know, creative team wise, it, yeah, at least at the outset, it'll still be Jed McKay and Ciavia. They'll just be doing it, you know, with Will, and and so his aesthetic will will help to guide and steer that as opposed to mine and his will be at least a little if not a lot different than mine and and that'll take it into places that it wouldn't have gone under me um and that's that's just the nature of things it's no different than you know here in the 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 jordan white plans for you know the 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 current regime's you know last bunch of x-men stories and like they're all good um you know they're not necessarily what i would do but you know i i don't do mine until theirs is done so, you know, uh, uh, that's less strange. That's much more about gathering intel and going, okay, here's the state of play when we come in and, and where can we, where can we take things from there? That would be interesting. Who would be good to do them and what kinds of stories do we want to do? And that, that, that sort of thing. Um, but again, for having done Avengers for, for so long, it's not really that hard, uh, to, to let, to let it, to let it pass. Um, you know, again, partly because I have something new to focus on. So, you know, my every brain cell at this point, you know, morning, noon and night is thinking about X-Men, largely because X-Men, uh, you know, in, in the way I'm inheriting it, which is I'm not just taking X-Men. I, yeah, I'm, I'm inheriting. It's the whole line. 
and we have to relaunch and 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 reestablish like the new direction for everything, including what books are there going to be, and who's going to be doing those books, and what characters are in those books, and so forth. So it's a much bigger chunk of brain matter that's necessary for that than it is just running Avengers. And granted, in just running Avengers, it's all the solo books and solo stuff as well. But over the course of the last bunch of years, most of those have shifted into other people's hands anyway. You know, Will is already editing Thor and and Hulk and Alana Smith is editing Captain America and Darren Shan is editing Iron Man. And I have oversight on all of those things and make sure that they're all okay. And they all know my constant demand of you can do anything you want, but you can't take them out of Avengers. Um, because they're staying in Avengers because I need them in Avengers. So, you know, if 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 Tony Stark is going on the run from Orcus and he's only got his stealth armor and he's doing whatever, every once in a while he sneaks out and goes to a meeting. Uh, <laughs> because I'm not taking him out of Avengers, so you're gonna have to we're gonna have to navigate around this. Um but so, so you know, like my absence from Captain America is going to be negligible. You're not even going to notice anything because um, I'm not I'm not having really any impact there, you know, whatsoever, other than every once in a while doing things like, yeah, yeah Cap was born in this year, not that year. Or, uh, you know, some, some little bit of something that I know uh, and remember that nobody else, you know, knows and remembers like uh, – uh, you know, the the stripe directly under Captain America's star should always be red. That's the that's the Stanley rule. That's the coloring rule. That's so that's funny. how it that's how it works. This is genuinely like the stuff I love in your Substack is like this minutia about the history of these characters. This, you know, the rules of the company. You've been publishing a bunch of like the cover guidelines in the past few months, which are so fascinating. Um, is this just. Is this just, you know, a symptom of the way you're collecting brain works? I guess, uh, you know, I, 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 I do that because at least for the moment it entertains me. It's interesting to me, you know, I've dabbled with and played with, you know, all the different forms of social media to one degree or another over the years. You know, I did the column at, at CBR years and years ago, uh, you know, after Joe stopped doing it. And I had I had the form spring where I'd answer questions until that became a snake pit. And and, uh, you know, I've been on Twitter and been more active and less active, less active since it 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 changed its name, uh, you know, and and, uh, you know, I've been on Tumblr. And, and so every time there's a new thing that shows up, I, I, I usually will tend to play around with it a little bit and see what it can do and and and, uh, you know, see how it can function in the same you know, basic to the same basic end, which is, uh, you know, talking about this stuff and, 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 and trying to be a little bit more visible about what we do and how we do it and so forth. And so that's the, the newsletter is just the latest version of that. And it takes way too long. I was, I was genuinely going to ask this because like, look, you're, you're editing all these books. You have a life also, like, how do you juggle your time? What is your time management uh, secret? I don't know. I just, I mean, it, it, it's, it's sort of like, you know, I, I, for the longest time, it's a little, it's much less than now, but for the longest time, you know, I edited more books more consistently than anybody. Uh, and I did it and could do it because it was all always all about like, what's the thing that has to be done first, do it and then move on to the next thing. Like if you've got something to get done, you just do it and, and 
you know, then then you, you move. Uh, and I liken it kind of, you know, when I talk to the younger editors and things who sometimes get paralyzed on decisions and such um, because they're not pulling from the kind of experience that I have. Um, it's, you know, it's like being an old West gunfighter and you got to pull your gun and fire three shots and take three guys down. Uh, and, it, and, and it all has to happen exactly that fast. Like, you know, make the right choice, go. And realize that with most of the decisions that you're making, the actual impact that they'll have is relatively small. So even if you guess a little bit wrong, that can be fixed. And even if it can't be fixed, there's another issue next month, and maybe that one you can do better. Um, you know, but uh, but I'm I'm at this point, uh, you know, very very uh, adept at at making snap calls. Uh, and moving things ahead, you know, my philosophy in the office, uh, you know, among my my other junior editors and such is, you know, my philosophy is somebody else's desk, which is to say, I want to put everything on somebody else's desk. If I have a script, I want it in the hands of a penciler, even if that penciler is not ready for it yet, because I want it to be his problem, not my problem. Uh, you know, so everything that's there, get it on somebody else's desk is is the the guiding principle. And so, uh, yeah, everybody kind of does that. And, and, you know, that helps you organize all the stuff that, that has to be done and uh, stuff that's just, you know, uh, you know, play. And I'm, I'm relatively disciplined on, on these things, uh, you know, to the point where I sometimes have to remind myself, like, this isn't a job. If you don't do this, it's fine. Nobody cares. Maybe a few people care, but nobody really cares. Um, you know, uh, but, uh, uh, you know, as, as, as long as I'm entertained by doing it, I do it. And then when I'm not, then I stop, uh, then it'll go away and probably something else will, will crop up or something else will crop up and grab my attention and I'll switch over to, to that. You know, I played around very briefly with, with doing YouTube videos. Uh, and what I found, I, I did it for, I don't know, four or five months or something. And what I found was. I, I, for the amount of effort that was involved, I couldn't crack the algorithm and I couldn't get views. Like it was, it was literally more, more, uh, effort, uh, worthy to do those same things as just text pieces on the, on my website uh, in terms of the number of people that would experience them, uh, as, as to do the videos. And the only reason I, I started doing the videos is I got pissed one day because I found a video that somebody had done. That was pretty much just reading one of my pieces and they turned it into a video and they had all these, all these, uh, uh, you know, views that I thought, well, like on the one hand, that's fair. Like none of the stuff I do, I don't own any of these old comics, you know, I, I own my, you know, I have my observations and all, but if you want to repeat them. That's fine. But if somebody's going to get that, it should be me. So I, I went out and I tried and I experimented with it for a bunch of months and I just could not crack that algorithm. Uh, and could not reach that critical mass that you need to really uh, take off. And so after a certain point, I realized this is not worth the juice. The juice is not worth the squeeze here. Uh, I can, I can, I can better use that effort in other places. And so despite a couple of people asking me, Hey, when are you going to continue on, on those? Uh, I haven't done one in, in, uh, you know, in months and months. So the same thing inevitably will happen, you know, to the, to the newsletter at some point where there'll be something else that works better or I'll get tired of it or, or somebody will piss me off in the wrong way or, you know, something will, something will happen. 
and then uh, you know I'll move on to some some other thing. Some new platform will open up. Some new thing will be available, and I'll go. Oh, I'll let me play, play around with that. Maybe there's something cool that can be done over here. Well, and and as I said earlier, like whatever whatever that format is, we're we're lucky to have you giving us you know your take on comics in the industry and this insider view on it. Um, as we wrap up, let me ask you: What has you excited about the future of the industry? Well, the industry right now is in a fairly uh, 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 tight spot in the in the aftermath of the pandemic. We've uh, you know, not not for nothing, but uh, uh, and 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 through nobody's intent, the fact that everybody had to be bunkered down for three years and it wasn't going places means that you know, forget about just comic shops, retail in general is suffering from the fact that that people are just not in the habit of going to stores anymore, uh, and that's a big problem if your whole infrastructure is based on. New books come out every Wednesday or Tuesday if you happen to be DC, and and you know you wanna you want a customer base to come in every week and and buy them. You know the the stuff that we're hearing back from a lot of retailers is that pattern hasn't really reasserted itself. What you instead get is people who are longtime uh, customers who let the book stack up for a month and come in once a month and clear out their pull list or or, or whatnot. And it's because they've gotten used to not needing it that week. They spent three years not being able to get it that week, and they discovered they can live without it. Um, so, so that's a thing that we need to to bring back the the excitement and the this week uh, 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 engagement of of the field. That doesn't excite me. It's just that that's the kind of the lay of the land that that we're in. Um, but uh, you know, on on the flip side. Uh, you know, there are more different uh, types of comics right now than ever before. There are all sorts of comics that are going to other areas and are are are, are, uh, are aimed at at uh, other you know, age groups and demographic groups that uh, certain certain folks who like to talk about the industry don't even acknowledge, which is crazy. The circulation on some of those things is insane, uh, and that's kind of where. The, the you know the the new growth of uh, comics as a medium is is going to come from there's whole generations of of uh, you know young readers that have been raised on on dogman and reina's work and 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 uh, you know all of these various things for whom you know reading comics in some form you know stories told in that thing is going to be very natural and if you can tap into that uh, with stories that reach those people then you've got a ball game. They may not be the exact same kind of story that we told this year or 10 years ago, 20 years ago, but there's a, there's a big pool of people because actually comics are about more widespread now than they've ever been before. So that part is, is good and exciting. Yeah, that makes sense. Um, and, and look, we're, we're lucky to have you be a part of it. Uh, the, we will end as we always do uh, by asking you what you are watching on television these days. What is getting you excited or inspired? What are you talking about with your friends, family, coworkers? This is the monofocus section of the podcast. <laughs> yeah, I was, I was going to say like, you know, the answer is whatever I wrote yesterday in, in the, in the, uh, the, the newsletter that dropped this morning. Um, <laughs> Um, so, I mean, again, it's, it's a, it's a, it's a fairly wide range of stuff, although like I'm not a binger per se, 
So, so, you know, if you drop a season uh, of television and it's 10 episodes long, it's going to take me like 10 days to watch it. If not 14 days, because something will come up on certain days and I won't, you know, consume an episode of, of, of whatever. Um, but, uh, you know, again, most of the stuff that I've, I've been following, you know, it really does get, get cataloged on a week by week basis in the, in the newsletter. Um, so I just finished, uh, justified and rolled into the, the new sequel, uh, uh, which is, which is, uh, you know, two episodes in it's, it's a completely different show that just happens to have one character in, in, in connection. And I'm not yet sure how I feel about it yet. Um, but, but, uh, but it's interesting. Um, you know, I watch a lot of uh korean tv particularly korean korean game shows um because they do really good they do really good they're not so much game shows as they are survival competitions with a game aesthetic uh and i dig those uh i watch a decent amount of of uh, japanese television um doctor who's coming back at the end of this this month big big thing for me on, on that um there's always there's always a Star Trek show. There's almost always a Star Wars show. Um, you know, there are, there are shows from other uh, other places. You know, I'm still I'm still watching Doom Patrol pretty avidly as they start to once again drop new episodes. Um, trying to think what other more outside the box stuff even there is now because I tear through stuff, you know, pretty pretty quickly once it's once it's all there. Yeah, so that's a, that's a, a wide range of of things. It's a good list, and and I'll say like I've always I always enjoyed that that monofocus section of the newsletter. Like you've turned me on to like Korean shows and and Japanese shows, like a lot of foreign language shows that I wouldn't otherwise even have on my radar. So that's been really cool. Cool. Well, that's 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 good. I'm 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 glad you're finding some some value out of that and seeing some stuff that you might not. Uh, otherwise have uh, have found because i certainly like it when that stuff happens uh, and i like to share the stuff that i come across that i think is is interesting so uh that's again that's why that whole section is kind of there not that i didn't just steal it from from brian bendis who used to do who used to do uh you know no life in his in his letters pages for powers and things where he'd do pretty much exactly the same thing and so when I started up the newsletter, I thought I should do a section like that. I, I will, um, but it's really just me, me ripping off Brian. <laughs> Listen, we're all we're all ripping off each other. That's why we need the new voices coming in. Uh, Tom, <laughs> thanks so much for chatting today. Sure, my pleasure. Happy to do it.